Podboys Productions. Welcome back to Movies Are Relevant on Brooklyn Rebound Network with your boy, Padru, pod connoisseur of film. Maybe I'm trying that out now. I don't know if that really works, but I'm back to talk some films uh, for the month of February with my boy, E-Nam, over there. Uh, Like I kind of mentioned last episode, I think I did at least going to try to do this movie show on a monthly basis here. So keeping up with that so far, two for two in 2020. How are you doing over there, E-Nam? Doing all right, doing all right. It's your boy, Young Witch Doctor, just here, you know, giving out remedies to all the young ladies in the surrounding environs. Young Witch Doctor. Yeah, is that is that old song from like the 50s, I think? That was about you, right? Like I told the witch doctor. <laughs> Almost certainly. And also don't look into how old I am. I mean, yeah, if you're a witch you know, you can make remedies or something for aging, right? Yeah, Arkansas definitely exists, and I am definitely a 29-year-old man. It's weird that you keep asking these questions. I'm still not convinced on the Arkansas existing part, but we'll move past it. So since our last record, the Oscars happened. I didn't really watch it. I don't know why I said really. I didn't watch it. I'll ask if you did, but I wasn't even planning on yet, really. We weren't planning on having an episode about it because we... We had talked already about a lot of the films that were nominated anyway, but um, I was, yeah, obviously happy to see that the film we both agreed on our top five from uh, last year was the movie that actually won, surprisingly, Parasite. But did, did, you, uh, did you watch the ceremony at all, Young Witch Doctor? I did. Okay. Uh, I watched the ceremony. I try to watch it every year. I know that, like, mm-hmm. awards don't matter, and they're, like, totally made up and political, but also justice for Parasite, man. It is vindicating to have the body of people who, if awards are being given, they these are the awards that, you know, we have to pay attention to. And the people who make movies also thought this was the best movie of the year, which it was. Yeah, I mean, it's the first foreign film to ever win Best Picture, right? And so that's cool, too. Yeah, and that also feels like a... That, that also feels momentous, in a way. It's also kind of justice for Roma. Roma had Netflix going against it, but I think it was probably the like best movie of last year. Hmm. And so a win here for Parasite is, you know, a, a little vindicating. It's like, oh, yeah, now it is possible for someone, for, like a large portion of the Academy to watch the best movie of the year and agree that it's the best movie of the year, even if they have to read subtitles. Yeah, so that's good. That's a good step in that direction. I don't know if I'm with you on the Roma thing. I do, f- especially when I compare Roma versus Parasite, and, and 2019 was a way stronger year than 2018, but comparing the two directly, not that they're the same kind of movie or anything, but just, just with that comparison, I do feel like Parasite was far, far superior in my opinion. Like I said, they're not really similar, but Parasite went in directions that were... Like, nothing from Roma was unexpected or anything. It was, you know, it's basically a snapshot of a certain time period. It did have a little bit of the... of uh, There is comparisons, actually, when I think about it, with the class distinctions and things like that of a society that was in both. But I feel like Parasite just had 
was hitting. And I think this is probably why it did ultimately win, even though it was a surprise. It basically checked off every box in terms of, you know, the, the strong narrative that's entertaining on just on face value, surprising in different parts, along with the acting, direction, cinematography, and all that, and the social kind of commentary and message. So it literally had, you could watch it just as a pure movie to enjoy. You could watch it for on the other levels, whereas... I, I just think Roma is not that type of movie. And the, yes, that's that's fair. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I mean, going back, we could look at 2018 and again. And a lot of people do think you should wait even more five, ten years before. Not that that's ever going to happen, but before like saying what's the best movie of the year. But um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I guess I could see why, why Parasite. It, it does make sense in a way. But yeah, so was there anything, though, from the Oscars that, since you watched it, that was like noteworthy or... People were talking about, like, Eminem and stuff. I don't know. Oh, yeah, that was really cringeworthy. Um, all the reaction gifts are all that you need to know about that. Just the, like, scowling Adina Menzel. Yeah, that was confounding. The whole thing, the show itself, we were getting through awards so quickly, and I thought that it was going to be over before three and a half hours. And then... They just <laughs> that never happens. <laughs> doing songs. Yeah, I don't know. I, I used to always like the Oscars I, I used to watch it every year the Emmys too for the most part and more recently I just kind of I don't know what it is I just stopped caring a little bit partially it probably is because like I don't I put yeah less and less stock in what these actually mean or like that they ever get it right but which they did this year so I don't know but well, I feel like, like me, your disinterest is a protest against First Reformed not being nominated for Best Picture last year. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, and and that's not surprising, of course, given the subject material of that film. But, well, I mean, since we're, we're saying they did get it right this year, is this the first time that they actually did that you could think of? Like, even, like, looking back with hindsight now, and who knows, looking back in hindsight, year, a couple years from now, maybe we'll say, oh, wait, Parasite, there was a better movie from 2019 than... But do you think this is, like, the only time... Well, let's even just look back at the past, like, decade. Was there any other year where the where you thought the best movie you saw that year won Best Picture? Probably not, right? Well, I mean, it's a tough call between There Will Be Blood and No Country for Old Men. Those were obviously the two best movies of that, of that year, and it really did come down to the two of them. Otherwise, I don't know that Moonlight was the best movie that came out the year that it... And again, I have finally seen Moonlight Yeah. Uh, the year that it came out. But it definitely was the best movie up for that award, right? I'm trying to remember what else there was. Yeah, I am too. Well, also, I guess the, the No Country for Old Men one, that puts us out of the last decade, which I kind of said. But that's still probably the closest, I guess, to getting it right, maybe. Yeah, I mean, that's the last time I can remember not being like, what? But... Yeah, I'm just going to actually try to find quickly, pull up like a list of the actual winners so I can see. Yeah, history will not look kindly on the win for the wretched Fishman movie from two years ago. Yeah, we were both upset about that. So obviously, we, we, on one of our early movie episodes, we talked about that before we were doing this more consistently. And last year, Green Book won, right? I never, I still, I still haven't seen that. I don't really have, have any desire to. <laughs> yeah, Jesus Christ. Okay, okay, I'm on Wikipedia. Okay, are they just going to give me a list here, hopefully? Uh, yeah, Green Book, The Shape of Water, The Fishman movie. But hey, you got to give it up for The Fishman movie. For the great scene where Octavia Spencer knows exactly what her deaf uh, or her mute friend, she knows exactly based on 
a very little that, oh, yeah, my friend just fucked a fish, man. I know exactly what that look means, you know? Well, she could probably smell the fish man on her. That's true. Well, I mean, she didn't smell her fingers. Yeah, she probably, yeah, I guess, uh, I guess that's true. You know, it, it was worth winning for that, so we're wrong. Yeah, Moonlight won the year before that. I guess I, I thought that year that they did get it right, because that, that was probably the best film nominated, at least, or it was, but... Do you have the list in front of you? What else was nominated that year? Okay, uh, Moonlight, Arrival, Fences, Hacksaw Ridge, Hell or High Water, Hidden Figures, La La Land, of course, Lion, which I have no recollection of what that even is, and Manchester by the Sea. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. Of those, that's right. Hell or High Water, I liked a lot, but that's I don't think it deserved to win the Best Picture necessarily. But again, I don't remember what else. There might have been something from this year not nominated that I would like. More than Moonlight. I'm sure there's films from that year that I found more enjoyable than Moonlight. And Moonlight was a technically a, a great film. I don't know. Yeah, in 2015, Spotlight won, which was was fine. You know, I didn't love it or anything. I, what uh, Mad Max Fury Road was nominated that year. I maybe would have given it to that. 2014, Birdman won. So we had we had back to back Keaton wins. Uh, or for Keaton fronted movie wins. I don't know. I guess maybe of, of the nominated ones, I maybe would have voted for Whiplash that year. But th- but again, that's just... Still haven't seen Whiplash. Too, uh, too, too, too rough. Too rough? The music school. Oh, right. Based on your background, you're saying. I see. My traumatic backstory, yeah. I finally saw First Man, his next film, after that. Or after La La Land. Oh, I haven't seen that. Is that any good? It's fine. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't too enticed. Then the year before that was 12 Years a Slave, which is a movie I never want to watch again. Uh, I'm not saying it's bad or anything, but it's brutal. It's a tough hang. It's it's a good movie. Oh, that was that was the Lupita movie. Yeah, she's very good in that. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, a lot of bigger name movies that year were nominated. Then 2012 Argo, Argo, Fuck Yourself. Probably, I mean, that's, that's a fine one also, but I, I'm sure that's not the best movie that came out that year. 2011 The Artist, that, that was so... So if we just go back the decade, oh, in 2010, The King's Speech. That was the last 10 winners. Yeah, even out of all the Best Picture winners, I would say Parasite's well and first for me. Yeah, I don't know. So yeah, I would say at least if we put the last decade. Maybe Moonlight was the year they got it right. I would have to look, though, at everything I saw front that came out that year and see if there was something I thought was better. But I guess now's not the time to do that. I was just kind of uh, curious about that because like, I was so surprised about what they did this year. So anyway, you know, the the point of this episode wasn't to talk about the Oscars too much. There's a couple films we wanted to, to discuss. Um, so we'll get... Capital F Films. That's right, so we'll get to that in a minute. And actually, well, we'll start with... Well, we can start with whichever one you want, but of the two main ones we're going to discuss, but I'll let you decide. With the one of them, we had a discussion off mic about whether... Why wasn't this nominated... Maybe it wasn't actually eligible. Well, it wasn't nominated, spoiler alert, because it came out this year. Okay. And do you want to start with, uh, while we're being cryptic, I guess, do you want to start with that or the other one? Yeah, yeah, let's start with that. So I think we said in December, or maybe January, we were baffled that this was getting so much attention, but hadn't, uh, like, received any awards attention. Um, That's because it was coming out this year. We're talking, of course, about Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I've been seeing Instagram ads for it, like, directing me to a theater near me since, I think, November. So I just assumed that it was a winter movie. But, yeah, it just came out in February. Okay, so here's the thing, though. I'm still... What you're saying makes sense, but 
I'm still not a hundred percent clear because I'm I'm on the Wikipedia page of it right now, and it it does list it as a 2019 film, like copyright 2019. Yes, I think what I had seen earlier when we talked was that it it was released in France 2019. Right, but it does say, which I'm just now seeing, that it was the Golden Globes nominated it for best foreign language film, as did the Critics Choice Awards and Independent Spirit Awards. Oh, okay. Am I so wrong? You then? may be wrong because, or does the Oscars have a different? thing than them or whatever thing is obviously not the right word well yeah that's also possible it's, it's possible that you're not eligible for um an oscar if you did not appear in theaters in america that year yes um, that i don't actually know that rule but it, it was not at the oscars it was not the rep it was not the representative from france was there a different french representative or they didn't have one fuck i don't remember that would be surprising if there was. I mean, this well, I mean, we're going to talk about it. This did seem to me like a pretty standard, yeah, yeah, you know, awards type film. I would say. I mean, I may be saying saying that partially just because of the, it's a period piece essentially, which I just feel kind of has more weight a lot of the time. Maybe not as much in the foreign language nominations, but just in general, like with the Oscars and stuff. It's a formula that will get you an Oscar nomination at some point in your in your career if you just keep swinging at it, right? Period piece, fraught love story, and, and also like a gay romance. Not in any way to denigrate uh, any of those aspects of this film, but yeah, the Oscars eat that shit up. Yeah, typically. So I don't know. I I'm, I don't know if we're going to get the answer on. I'm sure we can figure it out some way, but we're not going to get the answer right now on what happened with that, if it was eligible or not. But let's talk about it. I had seen this a couple of weeks ago as of this recording. It's not as fresh for me. I feel like I say I say that every time uh, or the last few episodes we've done. I've been saying that. The other main film we're going to talk about is, is fresher, though. So, But anyway, just to start off, I guess I enjoyed it quite a bit. I, I really liked it. And I think this director, Celine, I'm not sure exactly you say her last name, Skama, Siyama, something like that. I did also watch one of her earlier films recently as well, I think from 2011, called Tomboy, yeah. Yeah. And I like her style. And comparing the two, Tomboy is much more slice of lifey, very, very naturalistic, where this has some elements of naturalism still, but putting it in in the further back time period kind of contrast with that a little bit and it's it's definitely more glossy and everything like that but overall before we get too detailed about it uh, yeah what did, what was your overall thoughts uh yeah i mean i really love this movie i watched it with the subtitles and then i watched it again without the subtitles i happened to like speak a little french it's something i do if i liked something and it was in french with subtitles i'll often watch it again like there was this netflix show marianne that like i watched an english version and then i watched it in french with subtitles again and tried not to read them i don't know I feel it, it's the same conversation we were having about like uh, subs versus dubs in anime, right? Specifically with this one, I had the same like French like vocal tracks, obviously, but especially in a movie like this where it's often just like tense stares. I don't know. I wanted to be able to look at the actors' faces and and particularly one uh, the blonde, a very actor face, right? Like she's always doing something with it, and it's very interesting to look at. Yes, she was incredible in this. Yeah, her name is Adele. Again, I don't know how to pronounce it. Adele Hanel, I think. Uh -huh. Who's kind of this director's muse, and also her—I'm not sure if it's her wife or girlfriend or something—but they're they're romantic partners in real life as well. Right, right. So not really surprising that she's very good at uh, the director is very good at capturing that that kind of facial. I mean, it is, I guess, the the female gay the the gay female gaze you might say. Uh, people always say like the male gaze on things, but 
Mm-hmm. I did see that here, um, but especially with the one that's actually her partner in real life, more so than the. But actually, with both, with both main characters, I was gonna say something though. Oh, I guess just like so, you really can. Well, yeah, there, there was. There's not a whole lot of dialogue in this film overall, but you really can understand French pretty well. Like, uh, yeah, especially if I've had the like training wheels run where where I have the subtitles and I know what they're talking about. So you saw it watching it the second. You wouldn't do that for the first watch. Then. No, no, I, I don't speak French that well. But yeah, not a ton of dialogue, a lot of stiller shots. The cinematography and the just the shot selection and frames and everything is probably maybe my favorite part of the film overall, if I had to pick a, a favorite element of this and maybe why I enjoyed it so much. I really did. There was a couple of scenes where I literally just paused my, you know, I'm watching it on my computer I literally just like paused the film and like looked at the the shot basically multiple times. Yeah, I mean what you can obviously do if you're watching something on your laptop, but I don't obviously don't do that for every film I watch, so I thought I'd point that out, I guess. I mean, there's one shot early in the film where you know, the main essentially the main character arrives and just like takes her clothes off in front of a fire and she's like smoking a pipe. But I don't know, like something about how that whole thing was framed. I really liked that a lot. Obviously there's a lot of good shots of the outside, like they're on an island, kind of a secluded island, I guess, right by the sea and everything. And of course the titular <laughs> lady on fire moment, very well shot as well. Yes, it is a beautifully shot movie. Everything is very tightly like framed and it's composed very beautifully. Everything that we always Everything that we mean when we like say dismissively French cinema, it's doing, and it's doing it great in it. And we're not dismissing, it's a meticulous movie, you know? Yeah, and I guess scene composition is the term for that I was kind of reaching for there. We kind of mentioned already the facial acting from Hanel and both the leads. I will say about the facial stuff though, well, well let me ask you, what did you feel at the end of the film? Like, basically the last scene of the film. It was a little jarring because I've seen that exact scene at the end of another film about a gay romance in early in a person's life. Yeah. That's kind of where I was going with this. Really invested in her facial features at that moment, you know? It works, but it just, like, absolutely was done two years ago, very notably. In one of your favorite films, right? Yeah. In, in a film uh, by a director that I like a little bit. Yeah. So... Uh, of course, uh, call me by your name, as you always pronounce it. I do pronounce it that way. I, I just think it's right. I think when people say call me by your name, it's, I don't know. It's not right. Um, yeah, but I do, I will say this, that definitely seemed to be biting off that. I don't know, like, if anyone's asked Celine Siama about that, but it had to be influenced in some way, right? I mean... Presumably she's seen call me by your name. I don't know. Lucas is a very, like, popular European director. She has to have seen the movie. I don't, yeah, that that was a choice, but I mean, it was the right choice for the moment, wasn't it? I guess. I don't know how I feel about it. I will say, I mean, this movie is a little more my style than Call Me By Your Name. I would say I probably, just on an enjoyment level, it's it was more enjoyable to me. Nobody fucks an apricot. Yeah. I mean, look, if we're just going to get on, go down to a base level, I am just more interested in, if we're talking gay romance, I'm going to be more interested in lesbian romance than two men part of that is probably just on a baseline titillation level not that this is really a titillating movie for the most part but but just in general i'm just more interested in that so it checks that box no pun intended over call me by your name but also call me by your name even though i did enjoy it it did there were some things and we talked when we reviewed this a couple years ago i i talked about 
some of the issues I had with that film, just kind of like, and, and maybe with Guadagnino in general about the kind of rich European or American, whatever, like kind of laissez-faire, what, all this sort of thing where... Yeah, you didn't buy the relationship uh, between his parents and, and, and him. Yeah, I didn't love that. And it, it wasn't even 100% that I didn't buy it, that I think there's no, no one who's like that, no one who has parents like that. I just didn't. That, that's just not what I enjoy watching or, or it just bothers me on some level uh where this is is more less simple in one in one sense but more simple in another in terms of the story i don't know I, basically i'm just saying i i probably like th- this is the type of film i like more and i don't remember why i started even talking about this necessarily oh but w- with the end though i do think the end worked better for me and call me by your name because that was the timothy chalamet character in that yes it's his movie, right? 100%. We're seeing it from his point of view, essentially, 100%. And then, so it makes sense. We're, we're getting all those emotions on his face at the end. And honestly, that was, like, maybe my favorite. I, w- I would say that's probably was my favorite scene in the in that film, the last scene of the movie. Whereas this, maybe, it definitely wasn't my favorite scene of the film, the end of um, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. And, like, I'm saying, I don't know how I, f- how I feel about it because contrasting it with the with call me by your name this film the other the non uh, uh i'm just gonna look up the names real quick unless you remember offhand what what are the two women's names uh i actually don't remember the lead's name but the um heiress that she's painting her name is heloise heloise oh marianne is her is the name so right, right it's right. marianne and heloise M- marianne clearly is your point of entry character your audience surrogate character you she is like the main protagonist essentially right Yes. And it's mostly, things are mostly told from her point of view. But then this one is ending on her looking at her former lover. But the emotions we're seeing are from the former lover. I'm not saying it doesn't work. It does. But I don't know. Do you get, do you get what I'm saying? Like, it's more cathartic with the, to me, with the, the main character getting those emotions at the end rather than watching someone else have emotion. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I will push back on that just from my experience of watching the movie it was a really effective device for me because she's watching like a live orchestra play and and she mentions early in the movie that she's never seen a live orchestra. She's watching a live orchestra play that song that Marianne was trying to, to show her earlier and she couldn't get that part with the with the like really fast runs downward. She's like fumbling at it and fumbling at it and, and Heloise is just like watching her just totally enwrapped and she's not even getting it right. So then you're you're watching her watch an orchestra play that exact same piece and it's being performed, you know, presumably flawlessly. So the, the metaphor, right, the really intense love that you know that you can't have and it's not going to be right and it must be let go so that, like, other things in your life <laughs> can be good. You're just watching that all happen on her face while that music's just, like, laying the base code of the metaphor down. I thought it was really perfect. And then the whole scene happens as you're watching her from across the room from Marianne's perspective. She can't go say hello. Like, you know in that moment that, that it's not going to happen, that she also knows that this very intense love from her past cannot be reactivated. It, it, it's, it's over. We had that time together, and I can't get that back, and that's longing <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a very real French sense. Yeah. I don't know. I thought it really worked with it, both the composition of the shots and from the perspective issue that you're talking about. I, I really enjoyed that moment. I got a little weepy. Okay. I mean, the way you just explained it, I'm coming around a little bit. I think you made a good point there. It does it does work in that sense, I guess. 
And also, that is, the, I didn't, I guess I didn't really put it together that the, the song they were watching, that is the same song she was playing for before. Precisely. I didn't really put that together either, but yeah, I guess it does work well to end the movie. But at the same time, I like the ending of Call Me By Your Name. It, that one just worked for me better. And this was a little too similar. Well, also, again, it happened two years ago. Yeah. Like, it definitely came first. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the ending you will call me by your name is um, unimpeachable. But it is an interesting point you make. I guess I do like it from the sense that she's watching, and from the, whose perspective, it, she's watching her former love have this experience that she wanted her to have. And just to talk a little bit more about the general plot of the film and characters and everything, there was basically only three, I guess four characters in the film. The mom is a character, but wasn't in it that much. And then the maid or whatever who had her kind of like subplot. I thought it was interesting that if we contrast it again with Call Me By Your Name, in that film, the, the protagonist is like kind of like learning this things for the first time. And you wouldn't call him the, I don't know, I guess I have to say what I'm going to say about the protagonist of this film to for what I'm saying to make sense. But I did think it was interesting that Mary Yen was, she was kind of like the, like uh, Heloise was like, like impressed by her and she, because of things she can do the type of life she leads it's not like i might have expected i guess like the marianne the painter or whatever to show up and be like enraptured by this like beautiful woman and she like starts which is it is eventually like she obviously does fall in love with her but you know what i'm saying i guess from like the balance of i don't know i'm having a, I'm, I'm struggling to get my point out that i'm trying to make here but Keloise is impressed by marianne Am I making any sense? Or... Yeah, I kind of understand what you're saying. You prefer the relationship dynamic here than the one in Call Me By Your Name. I'm not even saying I prefer it. I just found it interesting here. And she, Well, I mean, if we just look at the Marianne character a little bit, maybe that could help explain what I'm trying to say. So, like, she is, for this time period, right, which is, what, like, the 1780s or something, maybe? It sounds right. Probably around the time of, like, the American Revolution, I'm thinking, something like that. I guess the Marianne character for the time period is, like, the more unique character, kind of, I guess. Well, she's a fully liberated woman, and, like, that that's the contrast. Exactly. That's so. the life that Heloise would prefer for herself, but because her family has a little more money, she has no choice but to be married to this man from Milan that she's never met and also won't be, presumably won't be attracted to. Well, we don't know. I mean... Yes, she, she could be bisexual, yes. Yeah. And Marianne is, also apart from, like, yeah, so she's not rich, like or part of the aristocracy like Heloise or whatever you would call it so she doesn't have that but also at the same time she's not a commoner or whatever she's in a, a rare position for a woman at the time where she's like poised to take over her father's business which I, I assume didn't happen too often in those days right and it's a type of one of the only probably types of businesses where that could happen which I guess is just teaching art to women I essentially is like the, their kind of school or whatever and then obviously doing doing the painting and even at the end of the film she was like maybe passing off her paintings as her father's to like get them to and i'm sorry now it's pouring it's rare a rare uh rainstorm in los angeles here so hopefully it's hopefully it's not too much noise in the background um, but nice congrats but yeah like at the end was she passing off the artwork she did as her father's or are people just assuming it was her father that did it? No, no, she was just, yeah, she was exhibiting and some dude uh, came by and said just like, you know, this might be your father's best work. And she was like, it's mine. I don't think that she was like pretending that it was her father's. Okay, well, I'm, yeah, I, I don't exactly get how that confusion would have happened then, but whatever. I guess that was kind of more my point then that Heloise is like the one super impressed by her. And even there's a part where the mom says to, to Marianne, like, oh, 
she's already been talking about or whatever and Marion's like well, oh really like because we wouldn't have got that was at the still at the time where Heloise didn't really say much to her when they were but like I guess that's why I found it interesting because Marianne is like the main the protagonist like the main character when more often you see in films the protagonist is the one that's so intrigued by the ingenue or the other person you know even like in Call Me By Your Name when Chalamet gets really interested in um what's his name army hammer yeah yeah who's like the more more quote-unquote interesting one yeah which presents itself which also presents itself as aloofness and like borderline hatred at first yeah so i guess that was just kind of my point but i don't know i like we said it's simple overall it's very simple plot but yeah it works works really well as a romance and you, you bought it for the most part. Yeah, it's the kind of movie that is almost always going to get me, where um, basically nothing happens and it means everything. Yeah. Also, it ticked a really important box for me, where, like, if there's going to be kissing in a movie, the kissing has to be really hot. The these kisses were, like, very well acted. Very good to watch those. It's like, um, the t my reference point is always the 2013 Anna Karenina. Okay, haven't seen it. Excellent kissing in that film. Just, like, perfect hot kisses. And the, the makeouts in this movie, the the love scenes, are the precursors to really brilliant work. And by the way, to to our listeners, I know like we're we're planning a, a episode soon where uh, we'll be assigning a film for each other to watch that the other person hasn't seen. So if you want, you can throw Corinna in my way since you bring it up all the time and I haven't seen it. That's one option for you. Oh, would you rather watch that than The Grudge? Um, I mean, probably, but <laughs> all right. But uh, it's not up to me. You can uh, make the, the decision. But anyway, yeah, so a little highlighting that that's going to come soon. There was the, uh, yeah, it was, I, I didn't find the film slow, I guess, even though not that much happened really. Right. I mean, there is a there little... Was tension, there was tension and, and release in every moment. It works the exact same way that, like, yeah. music is supposed to work. Okay, that's interesting. Just a really well-done movie. Yeah, there's a lot of tension because you didn't know... I mean, usually in films like this, they get caught, essentially, in some, by someone you would think the mom's going to catch them or someone is, but... Well, certainly a trope, especially for the period piece. Yeah, exactly, but that's that's not what happened. And, and there was also a tension, for me at least, where... Cause she initially destroys her painting, like, rubs the face out, right? So she they can have more time together, I guess, essentially. Yeah, it's such a, yeah, that's such a great moment. It is, but then there was tension for me that after that, I was like, oh, is she, like, going to do that again? Like, is it ultimately going to end with her being like, screw this, I don't want her to get married to a guy, I'm just going to destroy the painting entirely. And, like, ultimately, if that happened, in terms of stakes in real life, I guess what would happen, she gets fired or she gets sent away, whatever. Nothing really happens. It's not really going to affect her life. And maybe she gets a bad recommendation or something, but whatever. But, like, in the, the tension of the film itself, I'm like, no, don't. I don't want to see this painting destroyed and all this stuff. I don't want him to get caught, all this, which isn't, didn't happen anyway. But the, it, the tension was still there, I felt. For something like, I don't know, did you feel like something like that might happen? I actually didn't. You mean them getting caught, right? I, I guess I'm more talking about, I thought maybe, I thought it might end more of, like, she, like, destroys the painting after it's done. The final one's done. Oh, yeah. And, like, doesn't let anyone see it. At that point, I, I kind of knew that that couldn't happen. When she destroyed the first one, there's all that tension leading up to it. She does feel that it's not her best. And she feels like the painting is this totem for, like, how she's betrayed this this girl that she really cares about, at least, if, if, if she hasn't fully fallen for her. She's like, <laughs> nice thunder. Well, yeah. But the painting takes on all of the tension in their relationship where she's like, she's betrayed her trust. Also, if she is falling for her, now that she's done with the painting, she can't spend any more time with her. It's 
Ah, it's a really great sequence. Yeah, it is. Was getting intrigued, obviously. But she wasn't in love with Heloise at that point, I would say. Which did happen. I don't know, do you want to talk about the kind of subplot I mentioned with the the maid at all? or? Yeah, it was... I guess if you're going to go all in on, like, women's issues in a film like this, you, you throw the whole, you know, kitchen sink at it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a statement unto itself. It's like, it's 1780, or or whatever year it is. But it's... At minimum, a couple hundred years ago, probably. And uh, her uh, abortion is free and legal. Well, I don't know. I don't necessarily know if it's legal, but... Right, right. You know what I'm trying to say, though. It's it's just a fact of life that she did not want this child and does not have to have it. It felt like a statement to me. You know, it was definitely some kind of statement. I do think it was a little... And it worked for the, the overall themes of the film, for sure. Plot-wise, it was a little extra i mean this mm-hmm. is a two-hour movie or whatever it, it didn't necessarily need to be in there but either way i did i it was pretty funny i like the scene where she's just like hanging it, it kind of basically seems like she's hanging like from the ceiling like she's hanged or like whatever but that's just part of the, the process of how she thinks it'll work i like the one right before that where she's just like sprinting on the beach between them just like i want to stop yeah playing monkey in the middle essentially yeah, but the hanging shot really worked for me and uh, made me laugh yeah. a little bit. Yeah, this is definitely one I'll probably watch again at some point. It's really good. I think it will. Oh yeah, you obviously watched it twice already. I think it will benefit from multiple viewings. And yeah, it's good. And uh, just real quick on the other film I watched by the same director, Tomboy. I talked about it super briefly. Like I said, very slice of life, naturalistic. Basically, it's just about a girl. Again, of course, a French girl um, who is a tomboy, like, seems to want to be a, a boy essentially i think she's like 11 or so and moves to a new like her family moves to a new city and she meets some of the neighborhood kids and, and she has her hair cut short so they think she's a boy anyway and she just kind of rolls with it oh, that, yeah. that's basically just the plot of that and then one of the girls thinks she's a boy also and like starts to like her and things like that they're playing like shirts versus skins uh soccer <laughs> And, like, she takes her shirt off and, like, all this stuff. So it's kind of, uh, yeah. And then it's not really a spoiler or whatever. It's just, like, you can't, obviously can't do this. And she's, because it's, like, summer. They haven't gone to school yet. So, like, when school starts, everyone's going to know, you know, that's the tension there, I guess. Like, it's untenable. Right, right. But, yeah, it, it's really good. I recommend it. Um, and I think this, yeah, I, I, uh, I think she has maybe one or two other films. I might be interested in checking those out as well. I'm pretty sure all their other films are more of the tomboy vein of Slice of Lifey than, um, than like the period piece like this. So, but I'm excited to see what else she'll do, and um, yeah. But obviously, her films are all they do. I think they all have some type of lesbian theme or some type of yeah, basically um, theme like that. So yeah, she was saying in an interview that I listened to the so few films are made that center that kind of story that she does feel that she has to return to those associated themes as much as possible since she feels like she can tell the stories. Yeah, and she obviously can, um, based on the two I've seen. She's a very talented director. I would like to see her do something else as well. But if she doesn't, then it's still fine. Yeah, I liked it a lot. Do you want to pivot over to the other film we were going to go over? Also released last year, I believe, right? Uh, yeah, we caught up on a, an early 2019 indie art movie starring one of our greatest actors, yeah, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Moss, Elizabeth Moss. Uh, called Her Smell, Yeah, uh, where Elizabeth Moss plays a poorly aging rocker. <laughs> yeah, that's an understatement, I would say, poorly aging. Um, 
yeah. I would say poorly living, <laughs> more so than aging. Right. <laughs> so the character is wholly invented for this movie, but like, yeah. who would you say she is in the real world? Because she's not Karen O. Karen O didn't collapse like that. Yeah, and also you told me Karen O before I saw the film when you had only seen it, and I didn't really pick... I'm not that familiar with the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, but I only know, like, they're a couple of hits or whatever, but... Well, yeah, they wrote one of the 100 best songs ever recorded. I'm not as fond of the rest of their catalog as I am of that song, but... But I just don't know... The band I saw from this didn't seem to be... Well, also, was this a period piece? I couldn't really tell. It seems like it's not happening during the, like strokes era new york boom is it it seems it seems like the the 80s maybe or something right? no no it's definitely happening or the 90s the the last bit the recovery scenes spoiler alert they're definitely happening like 2019 yeah you can tell because of the outfits that um zelda they're like foil the outfits she's wearing amber heard yeah well i mean she's wearing like a rock star david bowie kind of outfit i thought at the end right yeah, but she's also, like, doing, like, the platinum wig thing early on. I don't... I mean, I, did anyone use cell phones in it? I'm trying to think now or anything, like... I actually don't know. It does feel... It, it, you're right to point that out. Like, it does feel a bit timeless. It's either, like... Because the style of music they're doing isn't, like, popular in the past decade or 15 years, right? Really? Well, I mean, it depends on what kind of music you listen to. It also presupposes a, a world where rock music is still popular or has been for the last 20 years well i'm thinking more about the other band like the, the younger band that seemed like a proto-punk kind of the runaways type of or maybe past that but like i guess there was that band in like the early 2000s called the donna's was it that's that's maybe kind of similar right right all female like maybe it's that sort of vibe but yeah that definitely didn't feel from the music angle, it definitely didn't feel anything modern. And, like, they all have names like Roxy Rotten or something like that, or, like, that kind of, like, people don't, <laughs> yeah. bands don't have stuff like that nowadays. I don't know. I don't know. It definitely felt to me like the earlier scenes were happening between 2001 and 2007, and then they say at a certain point, like, it's only been, like, nine years. Yeah, I think it was 11 years from when that band had started till the, the concert at the end. Right, there you go. It certainly feels of this century. Yeah, I don't know. Well, that's not really the point of the movie anyway. I was just wondering about that. Yeah, so her smell, I hate the name. I still don't like it. I don't know why I dislike it so much, but it's very off-putting to me. I don't even, it's not. It doesn't need to be called that for any reason. I don't. Because scents don't don't feature prominently in the movie. I don't know why it's called that. It's confounding. Well, she kind of like smells her daughter, I guess, at the end. That's the only thing I could really think of. But Oh, do you think so? I think she's, like, putting her nose up on her hair, kind of. But that, yeah, it doesn't really make sense to me. And apart from not making sense, yeah, I just really don't like it. Well, it's also, like, their band is called Something She, and that phraselet ends there. It's, like, Something She What. It's, it's also it's also a bit confounding. Yeah. You really enjoyed this overall, though? I really liked it. I thought Moss was incredible in it. When she's doing the, like, manic upswing, freaking out... <laughs> when she's basically being Howard from Uncut Gems, this is how I win, trying to, like, suck the life out of that younger band. And in lo- the lower moments, especially, like, the overdose scenes, I found her, like, utterly magnetic. Um, which, is, of course, just, like, she's one of the best working actors. Yeah. I'm surprised she didn't get more... And probably it's just, it's a small film and they weren't really pushing it and that's how awards work. But I'm surprised we didn't even talk about her in Oscar season. This is certainly a better performance than one of the ScarJo performances. Oh, yeah. 
Well, it would have to be the, the main one anyway, because it would be a, certainly be a best actor, actor, right, right. actress. Yeah. But yeah, it's probably just because it was a small film that probably most people didn't see. But Moss is someone who gets a lot of awards recognition, so she might have, yeah, I wouldn't have been shocked if she did, but... Well, she's mostly getting TV awards for Handmaid's Tale, though. Yeah. And Mad Men, of course. Whew, she's so good in Mad Men. Yeah, I've never seen Handmaid's Tale. I'm sure she's getting it, but yeah, I mostly know her from Mad Men. It's a tough hang, and uh, you gotta be ready for it. You gotta be in the right space. I'm not ready for it, so I'll, I'll pass that one off for now, at least. But yeah, her performance is great. I, I think the acting in general across the board is really good in this film. Probably the strength of the film. Everyone's good. Like, the younger girls, the, the guy from Downton Abbey. Who's the guy from Downton Abbey? His name is, like, he's the guy from Legion... Oh, that, oh, yeah, Dan Stevens is that guy. Legion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah he's yeah. great. A little bit underutilized in this, but, yeah, he's always good. Yeah, Legion's great, though. Did you notice who one of the younger girls was? I guess I don't know if you watched the show. I was assuming you did, but... Do you watch Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt? I recognize Xanthopy Lannister Voorhees. Um, I don't like that show, but I have seen the first couple seasons. Uh, okay, I, I like that show a lot. But yeah, Xanthopy, I noticed right away. I was like, oh, okay. I like her a lot. Yeah, she's got a very noticeable face. Very good at playing the kind of like eye-rolling, put-off teen or whatever, or young adult, I guess. Yeah. The one with the short hair, Cara Delvine, I, that's a name that I know I'm supposed to know, but I've never seen her in anything else. I've seen her in something else, but she gets second billing in the film, which is wholly undeserved. I guess just because she is kind of a big name. Yeah, she doesn't do much. With her hairy armpits there. The performance I really liked uh, too was uh, Eric Stoltz as the manager. I haven't seen him in in years i feel like and he's great yeah <laughs> yeah he's great he's gotta start being in more stuff and uh the the two other bandmates of moss i, I wasn't familiar with either of those actresses both did a really good job especially the british one i thought i was really impressed with her acting yeah i didn't recognize her from from anything yeah i looked up her name never heard of her yeah yeah no she was great i liked the movie too I do feel it was a little overindulgent, I think. It did not need to be over two hours long, in my opinion. It really didn't feel like it dragged to me, but um, I did notice how long it was, which is like, I guess, step one down that this movie is too long journey. Yeah. So it's basically five uh, vignettes, what do you call it, I suppose? Yeah. Five points in time. The first one was, I mean, I, I certainly understand why the first one had to be there to set it up and to set up who she is. I did find the character extremely annoying in that first one. Well, she's meant to be, like... I know, but it's still hard to watch. And I was like, oh, yeah. man, this is... I don't know. The second one is probably the best acting from Moss, I would say. There was, like, a... That's when the, the other band is introduced in the studio and everything, right? Yeah, like, she can't make the record and then they show up and she, she got, has that, like, manic tick. Yeah, but there was one part I... Probably my favorite kind of acting from Moss in the film and one of my favorite moments in the film was when the camera's just on her basically watching their song that they're playing for her right yeah yeah and like first she has kind of like a dead face not really reacting then her face literally starts looking like a wolf almost like uh -huh. like a wolf staring down like the three little pigs or something and then breaks into more of a smile like that and then says like oh yeah I loved it or like that whole kind of like look in her eyes that she had and everything and, like, the facial expression there, I was like... Yeah, brilliant acting. Yeah, like, chef's kiss. It reminded me of the uh, Skarsgård kid from, from It, with, like, the moments where the clown, like, just, like, glitches a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is a more of a slow build, though, of that. Yes, yes. I guess that was maybe... I mean, she's still being very manic and annoying. And that, I also... Do you think Moss was, like, ad-libbing a lot in this, or, or like, improving a lot of her lines? Or was that written by the, the writer-director? Because some of that was kind of annoying to me, like... 
the weird shit she was saying a lot of the times. Oh, yeah. I have absolutely no idea. It was super effective at demonstrating that this is a really fucking annoying person. Yeah. Like, it's very draining to be around her, but she's got something. Like, these people keep coming back. Yeah, that's maybe, I guess, that the point of the movie is just to show this the kind of downfall and maybe maybe somewhat, not rise, but somewhat rehabilitation of a person, right? It, it was never set up. It's kind of one of the movies or one of the things where you, you kind of have to take it on face value that she is so talented or whatever because we don't obviously see it, really. Right, and the songs that they write for the movie, it's exactly the kind of music I listen to, and they're not like as good as the songs that I would listen to, um, which is, it hurts It hurts the movie a little bit. Yeah, and that's obviously super hard to do for a fictional thing. Yeah. Yeah, but also just like of her person, how, how she might have acted at one point, like why anyone's putting up with her in the first... I mean, I guess she's making the money too, but... Although that's, then she's getting sued by like 12 different people or something. (laughs) And then, so yeah, well, those are the first two vignettes. The third one is the rock bottom, I guess. And she tries to stab her other Ben. Also, I didn't really buy completely, maybe kind of down the line of what we were just talking about. I get why her mom is there and her baby daddy is there. But I didn't really get why the other bandmate who already blew up at her in in the previous vignette showed up for this. Other than just to have it added to the rock bottom and like fight or whatever well i mean when she shows up and the younger girls are freaking out and she's like of course of course like i think she says something like a little throwaway line about like why she's back or like why did i even agree to this you think she was there for the younger band to support them no she was there to play with her band she just like you're you're right that she quit the band and the other um in in the previous vignette and then here she is but she gives a little throwaway line that's like yeah this is just what you get with her you know why did i even come back something like that um and also that seems pretty true to life i just listened to maybe a week and a half ago to the dave Grohl interview on the bill simmons podcast he explicitly mentioned yeah you know brands are always breaking up and then immediately getting back together because like what else are you gonna do but the other bandmate wasn't there it's not like they were supposed to play right i think she Elizabeth Moss was playing with the new band on that show, right? Or was supposed to? Uh, maybe? Yeah, that wasn't super clear to me. Yeah, I think that's what it was. And at the time, that band wasn't as big yet, so like the show was only sold out because she was supposed to be there playing with them. And it was a small club. Right? Gotcha. It was my understanding of something she would be opening for the, the Yeager girls. And then that's why Allie was there. But yeah, it doesn't really matter. It's just, you know... It's a rock bottom moment. And you have to put some of the pieces together, but I think what happened is that she actually did make an album with that, the Acre Girls. And because later in the in the final vignette, when someone's talking to the Acre Girls, one of them says something like, or I guess it probably is talking to Elizabeth Moss, saying like, um, or Becky something or whatever, saying, because they are a bigger band now, but they're like, the album everyone liked was the one we made with you. There's some line like that. Oh, and, she, and she's like, that's because they're all idiots. Yeah, it's just like, that's why people want the same thing or whatever, but... There's another little throwaway. I, I did like some of the connections between the vignettes. Like, I, I'm not hating on the setup of it, um, or, or the structure of the film, but I just thought it was a little overdone in some parts, but I did like some of the little moments you get from one to the other. Like, in the... I think it was the fourth vignette, then, is when Dan Stevens shows up with the daughter, who's older now, and with the other bandmate, the British one... And she asks about the third bandmate, and they say something like, oh, she's making an album with her husband now or whatever. And then in the, there's like a little moment in the final vignette where someone says something to the husband to that. I think it was Amber Heard says like, I like that album. You guys did. 
And he's like, oh, you're the one or something. So like, yeah, that was cute. But I guess the fourth vignette is pr- even though there's a lot of good moments I liked in it. That's what maybe I felt was the most overindulgent when I used that term before, because they literally do- like she has the whole song. She plays an entire song cover song for her daughter on the piano like the entire song like four or five minutes whatever and then she plays another song for the the friend you know the bandmate i was like does this both need to be here you could have cut it down a little you know what i mean like it was just like yeah yeah and i liked parts of both moments like it was cute for her to play with the daughter for the daughter and everything who like doesn't know her at all basically yeah i don't know i felt like this movie could have been 20 20 minutes shorter at least 20 the final vignette was good though I, I liked it yeah what a fucking ending too yeah like i mean i did think they should have played more than one song and it's unrealistic that they wouldn't have played a couple but whatever um, well no like the uh, that's what i'm saying like when she goes back in the hallway and he's like they want more do, do you have anything else in you and she's like that's it you, you know dramatic irony or whatever like no that's all i've got no that's that's a good ending well because she's worried the whole time too that is this the time that i'm actually gonna die on stage like i've like thought my whole life I was going to and then like she doesn't and you can hear like her I I think in the background track you can hear her heartbeat and she's like nope that is that is all I can do I am done here it was well set up then and and of course completely believable how everyone's freaking out that she like left or did something and they don't know where she is at the end and then but she's like standing right by the stage like nervous or whatever yeah 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 it's it's a pretty good film despite my a couple of things that didn't work as much for me but yeah i really liked it obviously it's mostly down to elizabeth moss performance she produced the film too i think so i'm i'm sure she had a lot of input and whatever but yeah it's it's just that type of movie like basically character study sort of thing yeah and i'm curious if I, it is kind of out of time i guess to an extent but i'm curious about yeah if there was supposed to be a specific time period or whatever but anyway yeah if they could just tell us that she's julian casablancas or something <laughs> Jillian Casablancas. <laughs> right, right, right. So I think we're going to wrap up this show now. Before we do, though, uh, we have to do, I think, what's maybe going to be a reoccurring segment when it comes up, at least, which is checking in with one of our favorites. Our, uh, I think we called her, I don't know if we made it official, but the, uh, the 2019 All-Star uh, Movies Are Relevant All-Star, Florence Pugh. Pugh Watch! patron saint of this podcast pew it's the pew watch the pew corner i mean what's a good term for this segment the, the pew is there some pun with pew we, we, we've got time to come the up church pew we're going back to our church and sitting in the pew i don't know we both watched a film that i think is streaming on amazon prime at the moment which is also a 2019 film i believe uh starring pew based on a true story called fighting with my family it also featured Another one of our favorites, uh, Cersei Lannister herself, Lena Headey. Boy, did it. Not really doing much in this movie, but... Didn't do much, you know, um, playing Pew's mother, also based on a real person. So it's a, a true story, basically, about a WWE wrestler named... What's her name? Paige. Page, right? It's like the weirdest <laughs> baseline name. But I guess she picked it from the show Charmed, which is kind of funny. Um, but yeah, so the wrestler Paige, she's a real person and her family was from England and they really, or London or whatever. And they really did, um, have like a wrestling family where the whole, the mom, dad, brother, sister were all wrestled each other and did performances or whatever you call it. I guess that's probably not what you call it, but so it's, it's a very standard story, I would say, but pretty well done, you know, 
it's nothing uh revolutionary or anything but i i enjoyed it overall yeah i'm pretty allergic to biopics as you're well aware but you know i've got to support the patron saint of this podcast she was great in it and a lot of things were great i really liked the yeah she's great I, I found the scenes very cute where they're like driving around norwich just picking up the outcasts that come to their like little wrestling academy that happens a, right right yeah that happens a couple <laughs> one times. of them's blind <laughs> yeah. and then the the treacly uplift not norwich norwich yeah. i know that from being a fan of the english premier league but you did get it right but But uh, (laughs) I guess that's an an important note for you to have gotten during the movie. Mm -hmm. It had the same treacle and tart that that every biopic is going to have. But I I don't know. It's fine because it's Florence Pugh. It is like, I don't really care about wrestling or anything. I've never been a fan of it. But it is a fairly interesting story, I think. Just just the real story. Yeah, just being like a girl from England that wrestles with her family to like the biggest stage of the wwe or whatever it's pretty like unexpected just to happen and you know right yeah the performances were all pretty good in this too yeah pew definitely if there was a lesser actress it definitely wouldn't have been a great movie i think but she really brought you know she brings a lot to it and vince vaughn i think that's like the pretty much the perfect utilization of him that type of character he was he was lovely yeah and i like nick frost always you know it's cool <laughs> it's fine to see him like making out with lena Headey, um, uh with their like pink hair red hair or whatever yeah 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 so just very standard film but but well done we're you know if it's a type of film you watch uh, you can watch you know with your significant other on, on a friday night or something type of thing you know or whatever night i'm not gonna challenge you in any way you, you'll see some good performances and a cute story and whatever that's that's about it right some funny moments obviously right right the thing with the the thing with the rock the very first time they meet him that was pretty cute yeah i mean it's just like a, a nice little like wholesome throwaway biopic pew's great love it or death excellent actor yeah before we leave the pew was there like one moment you would point to from her acting or something where it was like yeah this is why I'm trying to think now. I really liked, like, after she dyes her hair blonde to fit in with the girls that she hates, she was giving some face in in that scene where they show up. Yeah, that would probably be the moment from me. She did some heavy lifting in the arguments that she was having, like, with her brother after he takes a bunch of pills before their match and beats her ass. (laughs) Yeah, that was good. This and in Little Women, too, and, and stuff, like, getting you kind of on her side. Like, you get this character's perspective, whichever character she's playing. And, like, your feeling for for her side of things, basically. When in both films, at various points, she is kind of on the wrong side. The brother is essentially right a lot of times in this one of, like, she's the one getting the the chance and is just going to throw it away or give up or whatever. Obviously, in Little Women, it's like she's like, against kind of our main character and that and, like, you know, destroying her novel and shit like that. Pl- yeah, playing a notoriously reviled character very sympathetically. Yeah, she just has that ability to yeah make you feel like you're rooting for her still or whatever you, you get why and it's kind of used to a different effect in midsomar but where it's like taking all that emotions of everyone else and like into herself and that character kind of being like the mirror almost or like the pawn or like the totem i don't know like yeah she really has something just great to watch we gotta scour the mtbs or whatever to see if there's other things we can uh we can get in for for our segment here before our next uh, movie, which I don't know how that's going to be there. But uh, anyway, 
patron saint of the cast 2019 to 2020 we'll see if some of the knocks are off but hasn't happened yet yeah great discussion today i thought a young uh witch doctor definitely a very female based uh film uh what do you what am i trying to say oh uh, yeah a female it's a it, it was a female-led podcast uh you know time time is generally up I'm, I'm glad there's so many uh, great films to watch. I kind of mentioned it before, and maybe next episode where we assign films to each other, maybe get out of our comfort zones a little bit. We'll see if that happens then. Is there anything you want to throw out as we end here? Uh, no, just get ready to get right in my comfort zone, which is turn-of-the-century mediocre horror movies. Uh-oh. <laughs> turn of the this past century, right? <laughs> yeah. No, you'll be watching Nosferatu. That's what I say. I'd probably like it more if it was that. Oh yeah, I guess there is no turn of the last century films, but you know, I thought you meant they're they're based then, not that not came out then. But yeah, that makes more sense. All right, will you get ready to watch something uh, from yeah maybe from the thirties or forties? We'll see. We'll see what I make you do. But uh, Don't fucking do that to me. Come on, the forties has so many classic films, Eric. You need to broaden them horizons like singing in the rain that's from the 50s but no that's not but that is a pretty good movie but not what i'm talking about film noir all this type of stuff it's great black and white cinematography all right all right i look forward i look forward to hearing the phrase legs that go all the way down to the floor Mm -hmm. gams for days baby (laughs) all right that's gonna do it for movies are relevant on brooklyn rebound network for the month of February. Do say subscribe to this podcast, please. Watch a lot of films, because it's a good thing to do. And uh, yeah, until next time, we're going to be up out of here. Peace. And in my school, I'm like a legend of Hollywood. Mama says I'm much too good for the neighborhood. Productions.